Meaningful conversations are at an all-time low, while burnout and churn are at an all-time high. Value changes in the workplace and communication breakdowns have changed the medical landscape. How prepared are you to survive the churn and burn of the great resignation? This and much more with the MedTech Business Academy. Joining us today from the MedTechSpert team are... Hi, my name is Mike Sperduti and I am the CEO of Emerge Sales. Hi, this is Ted Newell, CEO of Medical Device Success, home of the Medical Device Success podcast. This is Skender Derty, CEO of the Clinician Exchange. Hi, I'm Tom Hickey. I'm Senior Vice President of Business Development for TTI Health Research and Economics and the host of MedTech Gurus, a podcast that talks about healthcare innovations in the MedTech industry. I'm Barbara Strain, principal and owner of Barbara Strain Consulting. So today we're talking about the whole issue around healthcare professional shortages. And I think the most dire shortage, and it's across the board, across floors across units in the hospital is the nursing shortages. So we're talking about that and how it's going to affect med tech companies, right? It's top of mind. So anyway, Skender, you were just mentioning when, so for listeners, we've been chatting for like five minutes about this. <laughs> so, so we've got a head start and we had to sort of stop and say, let's start recording. So our <laughs> listeners can appreciate this. So Skender, you were going through like, you know, you were sort of dividing up or segmenting the, how these, um, how nurses are changing what they're doing. And you had some interesting comments about that. Why don't you just, let's lead off with that and start defining the problem. Yeah. So what we're hearing is that there, there's about an 18 to 22% turnover rate uh, amongst most hospital staff and, and in the key points of nursing and then, then you go into the, the specialty procedures, the surgical techs, IR techs, et cetera. Um, and what we're seeing is kind of a bifurcation as to how they're leaving. Number one, the older generations are basically just saying, I'm sick and tired of this. Um, and they're retiring, uh, potentially much more ahead of a schedule than anybody had anticipated. Um, and then the other side, the younger generations who are less tied down to a geographic location, are taking uh, the opportunities presented to them by the by the travel, by the travel nursing, travel tech uh, opportunities that are out there, making wages that are three x more, um, sometimes ten x more um, than what they were making, and and taking full uh, full opportunity of of the things that are now presented to them, and and who would blame them? Right. I mean, you know, especially when you look at those two ranks, they are probably the most underappreciated of the healthcare professionals. And now they've got an opportunity to make the most of what's out there. Um, and, and, you know, I don't blame these people, but it obviously is creating significant challenges in patient flow, procedure flow. Um, you know, we're seeing census numbers only increase in terms of patients, yet bed turnovers are, are having some challenges and happening as fast. And, you know, that obviously impacts everybody. Barbara, yeah, what are you I'm hearing? Talking with my value analysis, people that are nurses, they're, they're being asked to go to floors. They're being asked to transport patients, that sort of thing. So to the med tech world out there, that means that your contacts 
that you normally might be one of your customer contacts internally are not there when you need them either. So their window gets pretty small. So MedTech has to keep track of a lot of different things at this time. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because one of my neighbors is a nurse at one of the local hospitals here in Philadelphia, and she was getting asked to do overtime and also to, in different departments that she's really not that experienced in different floors and stuff. And so here she's going into a room with a patient that she's not really been trained on. And she doesn't know what drawer to look in, you know, what cover to open to, to grab a certain device or whatever to help take care of this patient. It created so much stress that she actually uh, quit working for at that hospital in those particular areas and said, I'm only going to do this. And mm -hmm. so they, they lost her, you know, in some very critical areas. So, yeah. It's... Yeah. They put together really the, the hospitals that are kind of doing it, I think, very correctly, is that they say, here are the following types of duties that it doesn't take too much technology because some of these folks, you know, haven't been through an EHR upgrade or training on various things, just like, you know, your nurse uh, was reporting, but they have them, you know, sort of backfilling things that because they know the hospital, they know things, they know how to talk to patients, how to handle emergency if something happens, if you're in a, you know, wheeling someone around. So I think most have done it really well. And at some point, during our conversation today, I think we also need to talk about the effects of especially the early days of COVID on the actual uh, staff and folks in med tech world, not just the contacts and the customers and stuff as well. Okay. I well, think to the med, med tech perspective, there's also the suppliers need to be thinking about some things as well. Number one, there's no such thing as a routine piece of equipment any longer. So whatever they can do to make training and uh, ease of use, uh, which is a way overused term, but whatever you can do to help with just some tutorials on your equipment, and then start thinking in the future about some other sorts of artificial intelligence and or robotics interface, right? So because we're always going to have fewer of these individuals. So the more we can automate as med tech designers, med tech innovators, the better that's going to be. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the key for the med tech industry right now is trying to figure out who your customer is, right? Everybody's always trying to find it. But when we reference the 20% attrition rate, that means one out of five clinicians that you just quote unquote thought you sold to, thought you had adopt your technology, thought you had as a champion, whatever it may be, is now gone. So you may have to come back to a customer, to a hospital or a healthcare facility that you thought was a quote unquote good customer and progressing in their evolution and, and being nurtured the way you expected it to and have to keep coming back because your, your quote unquote customer has now changed. Yeah, and, and Skander, it's also wreaking havoc on anybody who is trying to obviously grow new business, right? Imagine trying to now get the attention of these nurses and clinicians and they're short-staffed and the last thing they wanna do is talk to salespeople. So, you know, the, the, 
the reality for sales right now is selling expenses are going up. Uh, you know, it's, it's from the inside sales perspective, I can tell you that contact ratios, so meaningful conversations are down 50%, same activity. And if you think about it, it just makes sense, right? Between the COVID situation, the shortage in the staff, the fact that every, you know, there's uh, remote numbers are being bounced around and so it's chaos out there. So for those of you who are in the marketing thing, you're feeling this and the answer is uh, it's going to cost you more, but you're also going to have to turn up the volume. You're going to have to do more to produce what you thought you were going to produce this year. And Mike, what's that from your perspective, what's that doing as far as contact list integrity? It's ridiculous. I mean, the, the, the lists right now, you're lucky if 40 to 50% of that list is accurate. So part of the exercise, but, but here's where inside sales really does help out is rebuilding that list, right? So think about it. So, so when you go down and, you know, Mary's no longer there, well, you got to find out who replaced Mary and what that direct dial phone number is and what her email address is. So the, the other benefit that we can provide is re reconstruct that database. And if you think, if you think about the whole psychology of like when you used to visit a hospital and, and maybe you get access to it now, and perhaps most of let's say most of your work was on a, a particular type of floor, maybe the cardio floor or cardio recovery because of your products. And you used to know all those people, even maybe by their different shifts. And even if you didn't know the, the admin nurse at the, the table, she was used to seeing you. So you have this little bit of rapport and trust and, and you could walk in there and nobody feels like you're a stranger and they might be willing to help you. And all that helps you in your efficiency in the sales process. But now you walk in there and there could be several different people and they don't know you for, from whatever. You know, it's just like now you're starting from scratch. You have to take a totally different approach. And, and if, you're, if you're contacted with these folks and your opportunities are less, what has to happen? You have to be brilliant when you're in front of them. And you can't be, you cannot be just saying the things that you were saying before. Yeah. Right? Because th even though you, you're in front of them or you're calling them on the phone and you have their attention for a few seconds, if you're not speaking to something that is truly solving one of their biggest problems at that moment, you're wasting their time. So you have to be really um, disciplined to make sure that you're calling on not everybody, but who you really can be helping at this point, because there's a lot of sales calls being made right now to customers that just, it's a waste of time because you're not on their radar right now. If I can build on it too, there's also the whole customer loyalty thing as well, because so many times you think, well, I've got an installed base, you know, this organization knows me really, really well. Two years from now, when the contract comes up for renewal, I'll just go see my buddies and my pals. We all know each other and they'll just, you know, kind of roll into the next agreement. That's off the table now, because now they have no idea who you are and might not even know who your company is. That's a great point, Tom, because and the other thing is these new people can bring a new um, prejudice or bias to a different product into the hospital, onto the floor that you're working in or into the OR. Right. They've always, they used a different brand and now they came over and now they have no idea or they've got a preference for a completely different technology. So yep. it's really important that you're communicating your value day in and day out in all sorts of ways. What we've, what we've been working with customers and what we've been expressing to customers is 
make it hard for them to not be able to use your product, mm. right? So surround them with materials, surround them with resources, because just, you know, we, we often talk about the ICU nurse. And if you walk into a, a patient who's comorbid and has all these complexities going on, if you walk into the ICU room, right, you've got all the monitors, all the pumps, all these all these things coming in and out of the patient and nurses are trained to be able to, with, with the blink of an eye, be able to identify what's going on in certain ringtones. But if that tone is different based on a machine and the, 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 the beep is a, or the visual is a red visual instead of a blue visual that throws off the whole ecosystem. And that's where, just like you were talking about Tom and Ted about, that could be somebody that's like, I, I can't use this. If we want to be safe, you need to bring in XYZ product because that's what I'm comfortable using. So from that perspective, we talk to a lot of customers about what are you doing to over-resource them? <laughs> Provide them with so many resources that it's just easy that they can't complain about. I use, I'm used to the blue blip on the screen. The red blip is totally throwing me off. We'll showcase for them. Hey, this is why we made it red. These are some of the information. Put it right onto the monitor. Put it right onto the device. Give them something. You, you got to kind of get creative and go above and beyond what you used to do, taking for granted that our device has been in that hospital for 15 years. And Skinder, just to piggyback on that, Barbara, I'm interested in, in your thoughts about how value, you know, you help companies with how do they present to the decision maker and to get their value proposition. How has your work changed in terms of value creation post-COVID? So during, well, we, I guess we can still say we're during, but we yeah, can no talk doubt. a little, no little post. But <laughs> what, what we were advising even pre-COVID and is even more important, so it's going to your point, Mike, so that you can't have your 52 page documents anymore. You know, you can't put in the kitchen sink and everything else. You've got to be so succinct. So my business has been really focused on that. So I've gotten a brand new technology folks that have a brand new product or wearable or some sort of um, telehealth or AI thing or whatever that's gonna help people all the way to people who have a, a lot in their bags that they're carrying, but it's how do I make the message get to value as succinctly as possible? And I keep telling them value is not price. Value is that total value and they forget about that. And when you first see the material, it's like they want to just tell you all the tech stuff it's going to do, but you got to get at that value as soon as possible and, and what it's really going to do. And if it's going to reduce someone's um, time, even by a few minutes that a nurse could actually put into evaluating patients better and things, that even better, because you're not firing the nurses, you're not firing the people. So it's not like you can reduce four FTEs if you do this, you're just repurposing them. So those messages are what's kind of hitting hard these days and trying to, people don't think they have data to support a lot of those things. But once you can start noodling and talking about different things, the data kind of floods out of there. So 
That's a great question. And th there's a, just a lot of the advice these days that um, we can give folks how to get to that value point. And Barbara, the, one other, oh, Scott, if I just made just one other follow-up yeah. question. Yeah. And so the follow-up to that is you mentioned something that is just near and dear to my heart, and that is value is not price. No. So my, my question is, what, have you seen anything with pricing or pricing recommendations? Is pricing going up, neutral, same? Oh, pricing is going up and, and it, it's still very uh, variable only because there are various shortages of raw materials. And when that happens, then whatever is left can go to a high price, even though, you know, a consumer sort of consumer reports for healthcare and that sort of thing, don't be gouging, you know, healthcare at this point. However, but when those other uh, materials finally come back on, or they have to use alternate materials that are more expensive than what they currently use, prices are up and it's very hard to control because you, you don't know what's going to be the next thing that's going to be an issue, even with the same product. Mm -hmm. And the products these days, it's not so much the PPE, but it's needles and blood tubes and uh, IV tubing. It's just across the board things that you need. So no, prices are not going down. So you really have to look at total value because leaders in provider organizations want to make millions of dollars back. They want to put their proceduralists back to work. They want to have those packed surgery cases, those sorts of things. So there's just so many moving parts. And when you throw this staffing issue into it on both the provider and the med tech side, it's just a big jumble. Well, think about it from a healthcare economics perspective, right? The two largest drivers of a hospital uh, uh, so, uh, cost basis, number one, labor, number two, supplies. Mm -hmm. Both of those are increasing at a skyrocketing rate. It's not a great business model to be in right now. No. And I would say add to that, Skinder, in an environment where all the reimbursers are trying to cut back and cap what the, the, what the reimbursement is. So they're really getting caught in a squeeze. So Tom, has there been any adjustments there? Is it just reimbursements been the same going into this year? I think, you know, there's, there's some areas where, you know, some adjustments have been made and from, and maybe Barbara can jump in here too, but what I've observed is, is there's been a lot of grants out there, but I don't know that there's been a lot of bracket creep within various uh, reimbursement groups. Um, so I think in some of those areas, they're still capped. I know many are still, uh, they're revisiting some of that. But as we know, the governments and third-party reimbursers are very slow to move. Yeah, there's been, it's kind of all over the board as well, is that there were so many as what Tom refers to as grants during periods of time because it was just two constraints and all of a sudden telehealth, all of this other stuff went and said, wait a minute, we have to have a way to reimburse these people to incentivize them that we need to make sure that what they quickly move to. And I mean, a lot of this was a week or two, you could set up whole new business entities doing different things using different coding. Um, and, and so they had to do that, but now you've seen pullback on some things and recalibrating. 
but in a lot of ways, the uh, payers made out very well during uh, COVID and um, everything needs to be relooked at. So the whole spectrum that MedTech is trying to operate in, it's, it's like the, you know, you're in the middle of the sandwich and you have all these pressures coming at you. And depending on your specific service line you hit and the type of products, how you've normally done business, everything, you've got to just sit back and, and take all of this information in. And it's not like, you know, the whole thing about eating the elephant, you know, one bite at a time and all that kind of stuff. It goes back to strategic planning. We talked about everything that we sort of set foundations last year with the big webinars. And now that we're talking real time about things that are popping up, uh, it's really time to listen and tweak and, and really examine stuff quickly. I'd like to I'm circle back to something Skender mentioned on that topic, Barbara, because I think that was really good. Um, I was just working on a project with a, a company, and I can't give any specifics because of non-disclosure, but they were talking to a very large third-party insurance uh, provider, uh, and what was going on there was that um, they had reached out to this company, uh, this insurance company, and the insurance company said, you know what, you've got a really great solution. There's no codes, there's no reimbursement codes for that today. We can see the value. If you can give us some more economics, we'll help mm -hmm. you get the codes. So back to Skinder's point about really understanding who your customer is, that's, you know, now there's a shift, right? It, it's yep. not maybe the institution or the big tall building. It might be the organization that's doing the reimbursement. Mm -hmm. Great yeah. point. Great point. Yeah. And by the way, in the show notes, we'll have uh, Barbara just mentioned the webinars that we worked on all last year in the show notes, we'll have a link to a page you can go to, to bring up those webinars and, you know, pick the ones you'd like to listen to, because we covered a lot of great subjects in those webinars. I was just going to say, if we summarize a number of key points that we made so far, and people can jump in, but number one is we can't assume, you can't assume that the territory that used to be friendly to you is friendly anymore. And so you, you, whether it's by phone, like Mike was talking about, or if it's face-to-face, -face, virtual, whatever it might be, you have to be prepared to uh, reestablish rapport. You have to be in a rapport-building mentality all the time. You can't just be relaxed and walk in someplace and think like, oh, this is old home week, and these are my friends, and I can get more product used. So that was that was one thing. And then the other th another thing Mike mentioned was you have to be on your game for understanding your um, like the the benefits that you're going to sell to these people, you're going to have to have your 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 um, what am I what do I want to call it? Your not your feature advantage benefit kind of a thing, but you want to have your sales pitch down, you know, and really know what you're talking about. So that was the in case you do have to shift gears quickly with new people that you're talking to. And what was another thing um, that we? So those are two big deals that we talked about. Total value. Um, I thought one of the things that Barbara said was really important too, in terms of messaging, and that's whether it's you're using video, face to face, or written, and that's be brief, be brilliant, be done. You know, you okay. just got to get right to the point. Right. Okay. And then Tom, you said something that I, I think we 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 can 
talk about it right now, but maybe even expand on it. And you early on, you said something about training programs, having stuff that's available to people quite easily um, so that you could refer somebody to that in, on the floor or wherever you are in the hospital or in a doctor's practice. You can easily refer people and it's easy to get to, easy to learn from. So if somebody has to pick up on something new that, that they can, so that's, that'd be on the med tech side, that'd be their responsibility. And then what Barbara was talking about was making sure that you really understand your value proposition and, you know, that back and forth between Barbara and Mike about value and not price, but make sure that you understand that and that you sell the value because it could be value in terms of reducing amount of time spent with patients, reducing costs, re reducing readmission rates, whatever it might be, something at least gets somebody's attention so that they pay attention to you in a really difficult time. Um, and then finally, I thought Tom made a really interesting comment about reimbursement, you know, the who's who's your real customer, there could be a new way to look at this. But so what did I miss? I just wanted to summarize that before we like keep moving on. That was great. Okay. I, I, I think the key is don't take anything for granted. Yeah, right? I yeah. love that. that exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and Ted, you actually said something that is kind of new that I love. And that is that you know, the, in the value proposition, you know, everybody should be thinking about how your product can eliminate time spent with the patient, complications with the patient, you know, to make that patient uh, experience efficient and just on to the next, right? So that's a really good uh, positioning. So if we keep going on to like, what are, what are the solutions that we can offer on the med tech side? You know, one is like, don't take anything for granted. It's a good mentality to have, but then what are solutions we can offer? So sort of going back to what Tom said earlier, I was thinking of like learning management systems, you know, really employing those. And I don't know, maybe Skender, you can talk more to that because you do so much of that with your, the clinician exchange, but I know some people are doing a better job employing learning management systems in their websites related to their products. So it's not just and when I say learning management system, I'm not talking about just plugging a few videos there that talk about your product or how it might be used. These are like systems where you take, you actually take a course and you, you answer questions and you, you participate in the, in the program and it makes sure that you know what you're learning so that you're confident when you're going to apply a technology to your patient or whatever. But Skender, what do you think? So it, it can definitely be that, but in the spirit of don't take anything for granted, what we're seeing and one of the biggest gripes we're hearing from the hospital sector right now is with all these travel nurses, et cetera, and all these new people, they, shockingly, they've had to cut back on competency training, right? So whereas before, anytime somebody was new came in, there was all sorts of competency tests, all sorts of trainings that, that occurred to get an employee up to speed, on and, and get them into the bandwidth. They've had to cut back on that. And the budget's been cut for that. The time has been cut for that. So a lot of these people are just being thrown in. So from an LMS standpoint that you referenced, Tom, uh, Ted, there's one element where it, it can be a front end type of, yeah, take a full course and then take a competency test. And the hospitals are valuing that now more than ever. And, and it certainly is something, you know, when we talked about provide over-resource them, provide them with access to information is just so easy to grab. But really the e-learning LMS thing pays in spades as a reference tool. Because the other thing is turnover isn't just happening on the provider side. 
ask any med tech company right now what's happening in their sales ranks, in their marketing ranks, right? They're experiencing turnover and they've got more empty territories than they've ever had before. So where we talk about e-learning as being an incredible tool is a point of reference, right? You can now, I mean, we're so used to just sending a video clip or a PDF or something along those lines. But when you have an e-learning point, e-learning tool that you can provide them a link to and be able to just say, hey, chapter 10, chapter 10, minute two, go right there. Now, instead of just sending, emailing them a link, you can now see whether they actually did go to chapter 10, minute two, and completed that. That's the strength of a good e-learning system. This way, when they call you the next morning and they tell you your product failed, well, you can be like, I I sent you the information. You never even bothered to take a look at it. Um, And so don't think of e-learning only as a front-end tool. Think about it as a back-end tool, that point of reference. Um, And whatever you can do to provide them those reference materials is really key. Kendra, is the, is the learning uh, just like a PowerPoint type learning and video and then you answer questions or is it more immersive than that? It's usually, it, well, it depends on, on what, how you, how, what kind of investment you make into it, right? Uh, you get in what you get out of it. So um, some clients make a deeper investment and make it really interactive. So it's not just two-dimensional where you just hit play. We talk about it. There's opportunities to hit play and walk away, right? How many of us do that? It's unfortunate, but that's really what happens in so many situations and they miss the key ingredients. Uh, If you make it just a little bit more interactive, you create a situation whereby the clinician, the target audience has to click, has to have some sort of interaction with the device, the technology. So it's not just play and walk away, you're actually clicking to see the next thing. You might be turning different tiles on the screen. You might be clicking and dragging things so that you, so that it emulates what it might be in the actual environment. I have a client, a small company, 2.5 million out of Europe. And they, because of um, COVID and they couldn't get to the United States to help do installations and training and all that stuff, they went to a learning management system and now they're convinced they don't even need to do some of these uh, parts of the training that they used to do because it was so effective. So small company, but they, they, they use LearnDash. It's been great. I love that. And I wanted to circle back and kind of build off that with, and combine a point that both Mike and Barbara made. And that is if you are a larger company, you've got sales reps in the field, one of the best ways that you can offer value, especially if you have an installed base, is to talk to your um, unit managers or your, your point of contact and just ask them, you know, is there anybody new? Do you have any travelers that could benefit from my coming in and spending 15 minutes to walk them through and help troubleshoot or help show them some best practices? That will get you access quicker than anything. Um, you know, I've had customers call me up with some of my stuff and, uh, they've been using it for seven, eight years. And you're thinking, oh, great. They ought to know all the ins and outs of this. Well, guess what? You know, there's people coming in that are travelers and they've never used it before and they can really benefit. And that's a great way to build value. Yeah. It takes some time, but now you're in their unit and you can look around and now you can ask questions. So, Hey, what's your capital budget look like? You know, what, you know, do you have any new surgeons coming in? Whatever you need to do, it gets you in that door. And now you can start talking about some other things. 
So, Tom, you so one of the things that Tom said earlier that I don't, uh, don't want it to be lost is the fact of the economics, you know, healthcare economics uh, outcomes research. Anything that you can give that is uh, data with resources to do that, because it goes to both ways. When Tom was talking about manufacturers, med tech going to the insurance companies, as well as, you know, CMS and see about getting codes, because boy, we like to look at, is there a reimbursement code? Yes or no. And you kind of get the look, no, not really. We started down that road. But on the other hand, if you're providing enough economics and enough information to like a value analysis or some other clinical person that's working with finance, there are people in the finance department of providers that work directly with the payers in their region to set up contracts. And so I reported to the CFO and he'd have a CFO leader meeting that I got to attend. And when I talked about new products, first thing the guy doing the contracting was wanted to ask, do we have a code and all? And if not, I could give them the benefits and value of using the product so they could go get a carve out or whatever for reimbursement. So both, it works both ways to have the economic picture. Well, you know, one of the things, Barbara, we talk a lot about is, is, is this concept of WIFM, what's in it for me. And we talk a lot about how the WIFM has changed in the last year, right? Whereas the WIFM was, give me a good product, a good price. Now it's, what else can you do for me? How can you make this easy for people to use? How can you make this so I can get better outcomes with less people, less opportunities, right? So having, an, having a recognition that the WIFMs are changing and understanding, you know, don't come in with, everybody's been talking about this, you and Tom and Mike and did a great job of nailing this down. But that proposition, if you come in with the 2019 sales pitch, you're already, you've already lost. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's that elevator pitch turned into their value pitch and your value proposition. Um, when I work with clients, I give them like some key messages right at the end from what I've done at Deep Dive on, and it's things that you can use right away in an elevator speech or whatever, but they're all about value. I have a question for Skender, and this is a little selfish, but I have a client that's interested in learning management systems. Do you guys build those things? We do. So we actually have MedTech's only industry-specific LMS. Uh, it's what we call our secret weapon. So if you ever did a Google search for learning management systems or LMS systems, you're going to get hit with 6,000 hits. They're, they're a dime a dozen, right? Um, and, and there's nothing wrong with any of them. It's just they're all industry agnostic. Um, so we built one that's industry specific and it's not even healthcare specific, it's med tech specific. Um, so, and it's all the back end administrative layers are meant to be designed for understanding that, you know, the Johns Hopkins doesn't exist in the way we think about it, right? Johns Hopkins is not just one building. It's actually a series of buildings, but then you break it down a little further. It's a series of departments and then it's a series of people in those departments so we built a uh, learning management system that caters to that kind of hierarchy. And it just, 
lessens the frustration, right? You don't want to adopt a tool that makes you work harder. And that's sometimes what happens with, you know, if you just Google learning management system with ours, it's kind of already catered to your customer. So we're kind of designed it to hope in hopes that it helps people work faster. Excellent. Well, expect a phone call from me after this meeting, brother. You know my number, buddy. Yeah. I think we have to develop a new acronym that could catch on. I think that's our next job to do. So next time we can start with something new. It's funny when he was when he was saying WIFM, I wrote it down. It was like W E C U D F M. What can yeah. you do for me now? <laughs> a little long. A little, got some work a little long. Yeah. yeah. And it doesn't roll off the tongue like WIFM. Yeah. yeah. I think you pronounced it Wacka, you know, I mean, it's, it, <laughs> yeah. it could be Norwegian, you know, maybe in Norway that might fly, <laughs> or maybe it's Hebrew, we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so what else can we do on the med tech side as we get ready to wrap this up? What else can we be doing? I think, think the learning management system is really good. Anything else, like, are there other departments in a med tech business that could be contributing to help make the the interact access to the customer better. Like one thing is like customer service departments or customer success departments. That's become a big thing. And, you know, should there, should that become a bigger resource, you know, in companies, should they pay more attention to that? I think any interface with the customer today, you have to be thinking, and, and you, you, you said customer success, you meant customer success, but customer service, right? Just that department, they're probably having the most interaction with the client on a day in and day out basis. And if you aren't investing in quality systems and quality people there, right? Unfortunately, in most organizations, you know, that the quality curve there tends to get a little bit lessened, unfortunately. But in today's world, you better have quality people, quality systems, because that may be the interaction when your customer is at its wits end with another back order, right? Because you don't have any <laughs> supply, nobody has any supply and they're calling up screaming and you don't have the right customer service person to handle that kind of negativity. Cause unfortunately there is a lot of negativity. It's a lot of frustration, right? So think about that. Just any sort of customer in interfacing a person or tool has to be really astute today. And so they, so actually you need, that's a great point. So that actually you need to pay a special attention to your customer service people, make sure they know what the situation is. They're probably sensing it because they're getting these calls, but make it formal. Don't let them, don't let them learn on the fly. Just say, here's what the situation is out in the, in, in the healthcare ecosystem. And here's what we need to do to react to it properly and to help our customers and help these people. Uh, yeah, you're right. Cause they could get requests for like an operating manual for XYZ device. They need to be on the spot, ready to go and not refer somebody to another phone call or whatever, just get it for them. Yep. On the customer success side, the reason I brought that up is because I'm talking to a, um, uh, an artificial intelligence company um, uh, co-founder in a couple of days. And, he, when he and I first talked, out of 300 people, 40 are customer success. And I just, that, that's just amazing to me that they really realize that they need to be all over their customers to make sure that their products adopted correctly. And it's been a terrific success. So customer success has equaled success. Yeah. But, okay, um, that's an interesting, uh, that's a new term for me. So when you say, what, what would a customer success department, what would their functions be different than like customer service or sales? 
Well, I think it's sort of, and, uh, you know, Tom, Skender, Barbara, you can all jump in on this, but it might have started with positions that were called like sometimes application specialists. So to keep the sales rep from spending a lot of time after the, especially with capital equipment and other, some other equipment, even some disposables to keep the sales rep from spending a lot of time doing the training mm. after the sale, you have a, an application specialist come in and they do it. And now the sales rep's free to go on and sell more things elsewhere. But an application specialist also might be a nurse and she or he as a nurse really connects with those people on the floor or in the doctor's practice. And they, they just do a better job training. And now, and they make sure that the customer is happy with that product. And there's a whole bunch of KPIs on customer success. And it really, so it takes the load off the sales team, but it also assures that you have a customer for a long time. Yeah, I, the other way we've seen it is just kind of like a general account manager um, that isn't always necessarily targeted to, to, to bring more product to the forefront, but more to just ensure that the experience overall it, it is a positive one that's funny so in my world, um you, jump in yeah you know i was uh gonna uh, toss a little wrinkle in here and that's uh with the customer success teams you know i spend a lot of time talking about innovation and um i think it's really important if you're a company trying to do innovation that you get your engineering and development teams kind of connected with those customer success and your customer because too many times we see technology creep of, look what I can make my device do. And really what you should be doing is, is finding that minimal viable product that's really gonna deliver the value versus having it feature packed, right? Because that is really what's gonna help create that success and get that customer engagement versus scratching your head going, how in the, way, how in the world am I ever gonna train on this? That's great. The other thing is, it, it, marketing is obvious, I think, that you need to make sure to connect. I was working with a client last week who, between their marketing and I think some of those engineer type folks, held orientations with the customer success and, and customer service people. So then customer service could say, here's the type of questions I'm getting. I don't really know how to answer them now that we're launching this new product or we're revamping a product or updating software or something like that. So it has to be a village within your own med tech company to assure that all along the way, those folks making that connection what the customer actually can help them. And like you said, don't put them in another loop and you know, pass them off and that sort of thing. I like what you said, a village. So I think mm -hmm. our, our, our producers are uh, starting <laughs> to ask us if, if we have any final thoughts because we I guess we're um, getting close to time here. So any final thoughts on this? I've got one and that's it's important to immerse yourself in the world of your customer and that clinician. You've got to be able to somehow walk a mile in their shoes and understand what they're dealing with every day and be extremely sensitive to that right now. Because to Mike's earlier point, they've got so much going on. There's so much noise and chaos that you've got to really be sensitive and make sure that you're bringing that value. Yeah, and to follow on with Tom, it's what can I do for you? 
uh, because uh, early on in COVID, when there was, a, you know, a lot of reps were let go because they weren't PPE companies and things, they weren't involved, you know, too much overhead. A lot of value analysis and others and providers lost key contacts that would help them do in services and help answer questions. So there needs to be a better balance knowing what your customer's going through. That's great. Well, I'm, I'm going to sign off on my start part of this and just to say it was a great conversation with all of you today. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, Thank you. it was fun. Thanks for tuning in to the MedTech Business Academy. I hope you gathered that with such large scale changes in personnel, you can't assume that the territory that was once friendly to you still is. Don't take anything for granted, especially your people. It's important to understand not only your product benefits, but also their future values. This will give you an edge over your competition. Stay flexible and tune in next week as we discuss the MedTech Exec's best friend, GPOs, the good, the bad, and the ugly.